0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to O23 Radio, the only show in the industry that focuses on optimizing the other 23 hours of the day, so you can transform your clients and your career on a whole new level. This show is for seasoned coaches and experienced leaders in the health and fitness industry to engage in professional-level discussion on all things regarding bigger impact for our clients, better incomes for ourselves, and real, meaningful influence in this loud and crowded space. Here we go today on the guest show. We are joined by Russ Tavares. Russ is, is someone that I've known now for many years, and he is a highly, highly respected coach here on Long Island, as you'll hear Matt mention in the beginning of the episode. I was not involved in this conversation directly, however, I was again in the studio listening in very closely, and although I didn't chime in at the time. I would like to say now that all of the things that matt shares about russ and his reputation and um a lot of his accolades and all the things that he's accomplished here on long island uh, i just wanted to double down and let you know that um i either know all these things firsthand as well or i've heard all of these things as well from um, local other coaches and professionals in the industry russ is a stand-up guy with so much incredible information to share to hear his, his story and success, especially how he works with younger athletes, is something really special, and I'm excited to share it with you today. I took a bunch of notes while I was listening and uh, really walked away with some awesome stuff to implement uh, with my children and you know young athletes uh, in the future. So enjoy the show today. Once again, hosted by Matt, this is Russ Tavares.
1: <laughs> All right, Russ, welcome to the show, brother.
2: Matt, great to be here buddy, good to see you again.
1: Yeah, so uh, just to introduce Russ, um, Russ and I actually worked together uh, for about two years and uh, I can attest personally to the caliber of coach Russ is and he's no newbie to this sports performance and and full picture type of training. Uh, Just again, given my experience working under him. He owns, is co-owner and co-founder of Infinity Sports Performance in Bellport, New York. Uh, Russ has been a Division One athlete as a baseball player, doctor of physical therapy, been a CSCS for for almost two decades. Uh, has a very substantial background in, in sports and in athletics and performance. Um, Russ, I just want to tell the audience a little bit about your background in sport and ultimately your story a little bit how you began opening your facility out in Belport.
2: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, Matt, thank you for that great introduction. It's uh, I was almost looking around the room seeing if. Who was going to show up <laughs> after that? It's. Uh, um, thank you, I appreciate that. It's, you know, it's been a long road. I'm kind of an old dog in this game, I guess. You can, uh, after just about 20 years, in this industry and as far as physical therapy and uh, sports performance and strength and conditioning, and uh, it's been quite the journey. But, you know, when I hear someone speak about me like that, it's it's humbling and i'm and I, I don't appear to be the most humble guy a lot of times especially on the gym floor i think it's that competitive nature but when you hear it from somebody a colleague and the respected source um it is a sense of humility there too and it's like is that did i really do that because it just doesn't feel like it on paper you hear it but um but yeah it's certainly been a long journey a lot of twists a lot of turns a lot of ups and downs and and i wouldn't trade it for the world i really wouldn't so yeah my background was of course like you guys as well you know multi-sport athlete um you know always always had that that energy and that drive and fortunate enough to have a skill set in a few sports but particularly baseball is where i got recruited and had the uh you know the capacity to play at the division one level got through a few injuries and shoulder surgeries and again some of those pitfalls that helped me get introduced to the physical therapy world and to the emotional and and mindset world a little bit as far as like how to get through that process. And I slowly started to fall in love with that, the whole psychological process of that. And then while I was in college, that's when I determined my actual first degree was in psychology. And it was out of pure interest. It was just, I love this stuff. I want to take more classes on it. And I knew going in, I'm not so sure what to do about a career with this. So through my injuries and my physical therapy experiences from my senior year in high school and then my junior year in college, um, that's where it all kind of came together. I was maturing more, taking some classes and doing a, lot, a ton of reading at that time, and especially when I was injured and had a lot of downtime. Um, and I saw that process with physical therapy going through my own rehab, and um, and at that point I was like, all right, I think I really want to become a physical therapist where I can include some of that psychological work or emotional work. and um, went to PT school, that was very challenging, very competitive, super proud of that, uh, along with my classmates. We were the first doctorate level class out of Stony Brook, so I, I can't say enough about the professors and the program there. They literally created the program that the country now uses. So their curriculum was, for three years that I was there, we had the APTA, the Governing Body for Physical Therapy, actually reviewed us, so they sat in all of our classes. And they were, to a degree, judging the teachers, the professors, and us. And there were exit interviews each year. And, you know, we knew them as, hey, there's Bob, there's Laura. You know, they became first name basis with all of us in that environment, you know, with three out classes and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, after that third year, when they sat us down in a big auditorium in there, and they brought the director and all the professors were in there uh, with the students, and they gave us basically our score, our grade, which was something that was never done at that point, I think it was 2004. And uh, it was an awesome feeling because we knew what was coming. But to see your professors, and, and you know their lives because you spent so many hours with them for three years, and, and to see them break down in tears of joy when the, the governing body announced that we would be accredited the doctor of physical therapy. And then to boot, they sat there and brought our uh, chairman, our, our president, uh, Rick Johnson, uh, super ad- admirable man for many many reasons, and uh, they brought him up there and asked him permission to utilize his cur- curriculum, which we saw many hours of him with his head in his hands. 11 p.m. at night while we're studying in the library, he was still there, you know, stressing about making this thing run right, and um, when they asked him permission like that, we were all, you know, elated, breaking down, and just super proud. So, um, you know, that's, that's the base of my roots for physical therapy. Um, and then being an athlete and, and favoring the orthopedic world and sports rehab, you know, my, my goal and duty f- from my own injuries was to bridge that gap. Like, how do we get these athletes to really buy into the rehab and feel confident and get out, get rid of that negative self-talk of concern and doubt and worry of returning to their sport at a high level? I mean, I was flooded with doubts of my own. Um, and I guess I just share a story because I like sharing stories. We connect with that. But so, when I had my second shoulder surgery, I remember going through physical therapy, and I was I was actually going into my um, first year freshman college baseball, Division One down south. So super excited, but a lot of unknowns. And it was the early that summer. I had torn my labrum and had a little rotated cuff issue going on. So I had the orthopedic procedure done. I was in a sling for months, and then. Did about three months of rehab, roughly, and then at the end of July, uh, my physical therapist and the doctor had cleared me. I, I killed it in rehab; felt great. Was lifting weights again. I was benching like a, you know, a meathead football player, even though I was playing baseball back then. That's what we did. And and they handed me a mug and a T-shirt and said, "Congratulations! You've you graduated from physical therapy. You're done. You're cleared." And at this point, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was it was heavy. It was wait, I haven't thrown a baseball yet, and that's what I need to do for the next four years. And, and I remember speaking to the therapist, and they said, oh, well, just, you're going to back over there, and they took one of the athletic trainers who grabbed like an old softball mitt, and they found a ball back there, and I remember uh, they said, here, let's go back there and throw a little bit. And is this again, my last day of rehab, and the ball went 10 feet. Long story short, it went 10 feet. I threw maybe four or five throws, and I immediately was crushed. And I recognized I went home, I certainly cried in my own room and had all the doubts and flooding, you know, the dreams of being, you know, aspiring to be a scholarship academically and athletic uh, uh, baseball player. I really thought I was going to lose my scholarship. I thought it was just, that's it, it's over. I can't make it, uh, let alone succeed. So I didn't tell anybody. So, because I didn't have an outlet. You know, we didn't have these resources. It was that, you know, tough guy, tough guy mentality, type A, I guess. And I grabbed an old bucket of balls. Went down to my elementary school out in Lindenhurst, Long Island, and uh, and I put an old Cal Ripken drill. I remember I took duct tape and I put it on the handball court wall, and I started from ten feet and I threw that bucket of balls and fielded it, and I threw it again. And then week after week, I had about a month of doing my own bridging the gap of getting ready for sport. I eventually was you know slinging the ball sidearm, submarine, over the top. You know I'm a shortstop at this time, so I needed to throw from all different angles. So I just kind of reciprocated what I needed to do, and you know. By the time I got to school, I was about 80%, and I immediately got to school, I went right to the support team there, the physical therapists, the trainers, and I literally, for the rest of my four-year career, I spent pre-practice and pre-games in the training room and post every single, and I loved it, it was great, because again, my interest was there, Mm. and I needed it, man, because my shoulders were not ready.
1: (laughs) Mm. I have similar uh, shoulders, brother. Mm. Baseball player, football player, labrum surgery, been there, Um, you know, and you know, just to update the audience as well, kind of going, not PT school, but massage school was one of the reasons why I chose massage school was to at least bridge my own gap in my own expertise. Um, you know, kind of growing up in the weight room and then not being able to handle a body on a table or have any knowledge of coming back from or treating an injury. Mm. Um, so I appreciate that. And I just want to kind of highlight what you said about your, you know, your physical therapy background, having the highest caliber respective to the Um, to the curriculum, and then, you know, the highest caliber in your schooling, and I, again, can just attest to this firsthand, you know, the, the caliber of coach that you are, and I'm not, you know, blowing smoke up your behind, and I'm saying this to be honest, I've been around coaches in the NFL, captains of the NFL, Olympians, gold medalists, baseball players, football players, all sports, you know, when I walked into the first time, the first group that we, we, we worked together and I saw you coach, I'm like, this guy's on another fucking level. Like, <laughs> the, the passion and the way that you teach is something that's so unique that I got better. You know, I spent seven years as Division One strength coach. Mm-hmm. And then I go to the private sector and work mm-hmm. with you and I'm, I got better. And I think that just is a, a credit to the type of coach you are, uh, the type of place that you're, you, you've built and, and, and cultivated, uh, and the culture that you're mm-hmm. building. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's just awesome. And and bridging the gap, I think is something that, you know, you're personally, you have done, um, but you continue to do, you know, there's still gaps to be filled. And, you know, for for us, it's like, why stop, you know, anywhere let's, let's bridge the gap from, you know, like you said, is like going from sport to performance to, you know, even like mental, emotional stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. like taking the approach beyond, you know, what or what you didn't get as an athlete make sure that whoever you're working with or helping with is getting what you didn't get yeah. and bridging that gap even more so and, and again cultivating like the future athlete to be better than you were um, giving them the resources that they that you didn't have um f- again filling the gaps bridging the gaps
2: um yeah, yeah so, go ahead. so um first of all i appreciate that but I- for sure, whenever there's a new trainer in the house, <laughs> you like to, <laughs> but, you know, that energy in a room as we talked about earlier. I, I can't help it; it's that competitive drive that we all had, and it's like I it's like coming out of my pores. Yeah. So, I probably turned it on that day because I saw a Syracuse stud strength coach. College <laughs> I actually, I'll I'll tell a story. But go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, but also yeah, bridging that gap. When, when I actually just did an engagement with um, the Stony Brook Physical Therapy, I'll do i do some adjunct work with them too, and I brought them in there for um. It was like a four-hour session. It was eighty students that came into my gym because it was all about bridging that gap. It, it's unending. Twenty years ago to now, there's always gaps to be filled there. So, but things have transitioned a little bit. Where, you know, we used to always think about think outside the box, think outside the box, and we got super creative. And I love that, and I love creativity. You know, that 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 kids' curiosity has never left me, and that's gotten me a lot of um, um, a lot of traction in this industry. But what I expressed to that group of physical therapists was. You know a lot of times now it's not about you know because we have youtube we have videos we have wait you know everybody has a great knowledge base now and is super creative and it's not about you know training for circus anymore uh but what i try to do now is think i create a box for them i literally physically create a box and i said i want you to explore every deep dark corner of that box now our box has expanded into PT physical uh, massage therapy. You know, there's a, lot of the, uh, there's a lot of things that cross over in this too. And of course, the emotional and the psychology behind it and mindset, all of that. So that box has expanded, but I want them to understand that they need to literally crawl around into those deep, dark corners and explore the box that they operate from mm. at a high level. Because mm. yeah, instead of jumping around, thinking of other thoughts and trying to get super creative and doing what the next guy didn't do, um, I feel like that kind of set that for me... I think that separates, um, at least me from the rest of the pack. Is there's a little bit more professional care involved with what's out in front of you, the person that's in front of you, the team that's in front of you, and what we have to work with in front of us. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I'm gonna hit that, but I'll I'll I'll
1: <laughs> begin with the story about the, like the new trainer in the house, and you gotta like, you know, set the set the tone a little bit. That's kind of what I experienced being accused when I started. Um, we did Brian and I did a podcast on this, but basically. I'm a young intern and basically I got thrown to the wolves, and mm. if you can fight your way back you you you're you're worthy enough to to yeah, fit in. And uh you, you know mosh pits and like heavy leg days were <laughs> like my indoctrination and <laughs> when we you know when we started working together it was the trainer olympics and oh that's right. Um you know going putting ourselves through that was pretty fun and and, and uh you know it's just, it is what it is and I've been there and and I'm, I knew it kind of I'm like, all right, this guy's... I'm just going to have to keep going with this and see see what happens, but... Um, it's mostly
2: putting up with my smart-ass <laughs> tactics. Yeah, yeah okay. know, trying to bring you down. But I,
1: I want to, like, you know, what you talk about creativity and curiosity mm. and bringing that into, like, program design. Uh, that was something I, I did love and still still love that, you know, you, the programs and the way that you approach performance training and, you know, the 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 uniqueness, the, the creativity, um, the progressions it's, you, there's, it's very, it's, it's very interesting just to kind of see your mind where it begins and where it goes and then how you project that onto a resistance training program or right. a, a program for an athlete and to kind of see like, you know, your exploration of, of really all the experience that you've put together and kind of see that on paper. It's like, wow, this is unique. It's, it's realistic. It's applicable and you can see how it's not your run-of-the-mill football mm-hmm. program that you know you as a baseball player were doing i as a f- baseball player was was doing and doing way too much benching myself and that's why we got banged up shoulders but um you know that's something that's so unique and i think what i'm trying to say is that i think that you know your pt background teaches you how to work with people in a very vulnerable situation and how to handle people who you are the resource and, and you have to provide a very safe space mm. for that they can trust in you to help them rehabilitate and, and not be hurt anymore, which is a very dark place. It's a very vulnerable place. You know, you as yourself <laughs> crying, mm. you know, when you can't throw a baseball, I've been there as well. It's, it's, and that is something that I think is so helpful when you can start to bridge the gap into the CSCS world and the mm. sports performance world is understanding how vulnerable people can be and how to really provide care and a safe space for any athlete across any spectrum, whether they're, you know, just scored, uh, you know, seven touchdowns or they're, they're just walked in the training room. Um, and I think your background as a, as a physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy, what I'm learning in massage school is that you're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with very fragile and vulnerable human beings, and you have to approach them in a very specific way and you, I think, do that better than anybody with the youth. The way that you coach the youth is something that I think is, again, it's unique to you and, and the culture and, and the systems that you're built. You've, you've built is, you know, you. I've seen you coach seven-year-olds, mm. and you you kind of coach them the same way as you do a, a pro baseball player. Do um, you want to you want to you want to hit on uh, maybe expand upon like how you see um, your your role as a physical therapist? It doesn't like turn off and then you know you you turn on your cscs light it's like you kind of melt into the same role it's all
2: blended for sure um i don't know when it started i don't know if it was that was always how it was or not but it's definitely a blending of all of those things and it all starts with uh, sincerity you know so whether i'm dealing with a seven-year-old athlete in a fit kids program or you know a patient you know an elderly patient that just had a total knee replacement I've always, and we have learned this and taken cl- uh, classes on this, um, but that affective domain was something I specialized in, um, especially in PT school. I remember taking a course on this with this kind of a mystic teacher we had, and she was really into, you know, the Reiki healing and all that, and Alexander technique, and it was just kind of one of those offshoot electives, but I thrived in that. Mm. And then in my undergrad, too, I, it was actually an RA at my school, and, uh, we took some courses on this and like, um, uh, like outreach programs that I got involved in and, and, uh, and I think that really tapped into something that I enjoyed a lot and it gave me energy. So it, taking those classes um, in undergrad and then also in, in grad school, uh, I remember really leaning into that and enjoying that. And for me, it was always about being sincere, whether it was uncomfortable for me or for them it was about let's let's have that conversation. You, you know, it is a vulnerable situation for everybody, including the practitioner. So, it's it's unique because I'm such an aggressive personality, I think, especially in the weight room, mm. uh, or an energy guy. But in the PT room, it's the same way. But I'm I'm a little bit more. I listen more. I listen to their words carefully, their goals, you know, their previous activity levels what they were capable of doing, what they want. And it's my job to figure out how to make that happen. And I can certainly count a number of times, uh, a lot of times where I've let the patient know that, you know what, I, I can help you. So that, that it's humbling, but I will give my all. But if I'm not the right practitioner for that type of condition or diagnosis, I have a nice resource after 17 years of the right people I can send them to. Mm. So it's not that I don't want them, I don't specialize in it, or I don't like the challenge. It's just I also know my role in certain things. Uh. But I guess because of my background, like you said, it, it does allow me to accept many of these challenges in many different ways. And, um, you know, and what separated us in the, at Infinity Sports Performance was, you know, I'm not at the college level. Although they are ideal athletes to work with, they're hungry, they work hard. For the most part, they're motivated, and you really get to explore a lot with them. What with youth and teenagers and adolescents, if, if you're ignoring, <laughs> I know what it was like when I was a teenager, right? The social atmosphere, the, you know, watching a kid walk into that gym and completely be like, I don't feel right here. I feel so uncomfortable. Or I'm, I, do I belong here? Mm. Or a female client in there too. And, and so taking note of their emotions and seeing their responses to that is something that I usually um, address day one with them. And I try to make them feel uh, relatively com- comfortable from the beginning um, and to try to develop that rapport right away. Mm. Uh, but once once most athletes or patients give me a thread of anything about their life, I'm able to pull in that thread and get that 10% they give me, I can get 50, 75% out of them pretty quickly. Because mm. um, I'm, I'm seeking out their intrinsic motivators. I want to hear their story at home. I want to know what's going on there, their environment um, you know, if they have something to say about their coach or something like that and I'm able to add a little bit to you know, flavor to that situation. But yeah, I, I tend to jump right on that, that small little thread they give me and uh and I uh and I utilize it, mm. you know, for, for the betterment of their treatment or um for the delivering better programs as mm. far as strength and conditioning.
1: Absolutely. You know, I've seen you kind of push the right buttons and you got a, a, a nice skill set there. Um at one point you may be a little bit more fire in the weight room, and you found your kind of balancing watery element in, in the PT mm-hmm. world, um, and, the, and the reeky wooey stuff is right up my alley, so I appreciate that.
2: It's, uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, but the, uh, yeah, for sure, energy first in the weight room, because I think you kind of have to, I want, to, I want the, the, the athletes in there to feel that as well and thrive over that, but there's been many times where I'm actually more intuitive now where I find myself bringing the energy way up, And then I got to tweak the knobs a little Mm. bit and bring it back and go, all right, this athlete's not responding to that type of energy. Um, So maybe I need to communicate, pull him to the side, Mm. pull her to the side and talk to her about, you know, does she want to be here? Mm. There's been cases where they didn't want to be there and they were, you know, pushed there by the parents. So unlike the college world, you know, we have to deal with parents as well and Mm. see who's motivating who and, um, you know, because they are paying the bills and, Mm. and sometimes the parents do like to live through their own children sometimes. True. But that conversation is open. I have that conversation with the parents day one with the kids involved in the evaluation. And I let the parents know my job is to make them feel comfortable too. Mm. Um, ultimately, I have to show value in what in myself and what we're going to provide there. So I tell them, I always invite them. I said at any time, email, call. If there's something that we're not doing that we say we're going to do, let me know. I'd rather take that criticism first and make the adjustments than not know and see one of my athletes disappear. Mm. You know, the sooner we can relinquish it or handle it, um, or get a better understanding of their, you know, they might have a quiet daughter or son, and the more we can understand uh, what's behind them and what's going on in their life at home, um, I think that, that allows us to deliver, you know, again, a program with greater care, mm. not just, you know, what we do out there creatively.
1: Beautiful. And I love the word you use, intu- intuition, and I'm pulling this right off your website. Uh, your body of work allows for an intuitive approach and a feel for each athlete's athlete's of well-being, which you kind of alluded to just in that story. Um, why don't you for the audience expand a little bit upon how intuition kind of has guided you in your life, but also again, a little bit more as to how you approach your athletes because here, you know, in our system it's at the foundation of everything we teach is holistic health and intuitive health and performance. Um, and it's a unique message because, you know, sometimes we get so focused on the, the plans and the reps and the sets and the percentages and the, in the music and the environment. It's more like, what is necessarily guiding the decisions Mm. there should be a little bit of this intuitive energy tapped into as a source to kind of guide this um you know uh,
2: maybe a little bit about upon that well for me personally outside of sport and everything else although we grew up uh, identifying ourselves as an athlete i was actually quite quiet very shy i have a twin sister who was the opposite of that so she kind of took the podium for most of my (laughs) childhood um so being shy, I was super intuitive, super intuitive. And I'm a feeler. I'm an empath. I always was, you know, I got, you know, my brother, my partner in the business is a 12 years senior, 12 years older than me. So I had a lot of influence, a lot of push from him. So, and it wasn't easy. He was a big football guy, much larger than me. And, you know, being uh, that much older, it was challenging to (laughs) kind of live up to his standards. And um, so again, I spent many times alone in a room after a late practice, getting homework done and just feeling deep like wounded almost Mm. and at an early age i converted that into work it became a main driver for me to kind of harness that and now i have answers to it i have a system myself that's very in tune with what you guys do here um so i'm able to through my education through my knowledge base and my experience i'm able to put some words behind what that was in my life um but then it was just i can either sit here and keep getting down about it and worry about it, or I'm going to do something about it, and I immediately, at a young age, got really into fitness or outworking people, I remember being like 13 years old, and it was a thunderstorm out, and I went outside for a run, lightning thunder, the whole deal, and I was, you know, lightning, it energizes you, right, it's nature, you like, you want to be out there, I remember my Italian mother cursing me out the door, saying I was going to get struck by lightning, I'm going to get effing killed, And and that excited me more, and I would just go running it. And then the moment I got out there, it was like peace, excitement, and fearless. Mm. And I was, it was me versus me. Mm. And then that slowly, I started seeking that out and welcoming those days, dribbling the basketball in the snow, you know, like literally that was me, um, nonstop trying to find the most adverse situation. And, and now I call it, if you probably heard this in the gym, the plus two rule, Mm. um, with my obsession with number two maybe that's where it came from but the um it was during the rough days i got the work done mm. i didn't have to i could have said no like everybody else but it was me defeating that own my own self-talk and said no i'm gonna get it done and i established that so i always got a plus one with that plus two they didn't is how mm-hmm. i looked at it the opponent didn't so for me being the undersized athlete Bumped up in sports and, uh, you know, to varsity sports at a young age, it was, uh, you know, a smack in the face for me in a a number of ways, especially with football and basketball. And that plus two rule of doing the work when others were unwilling to do the work, um, when I got into that competitive atmosphere, practice or game, that was my edge. I knew, looking them in the eyes, going, well, I outworked you, Mm -hmm. so I I got you here. Now, that didn't always turn out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> didn't always work out but i never changed that mindset it just seemed to at a, again a young age i established that it became habitual you know and then as you know once you establish a habit then it can be improved mm. and it's just here i am you know, mm. many years later no, it's still yeah. something i now i can define it and feel it and now i can seek it out and i know why i do it there's mm. a, f- a very strong rationale behind why i do that
1: mm. i love what you said about turning like emotion into work you know this this like free energy that you get as a feeling like putting it to use. Um, And I've like so many similar stories about kind of doing my own thing when, you know, the lights are out or whatever and I'll go for a run or I'll go hit the freaking track or Mm -hmm. work or whatever, get some work in. And, I'm you know, through my ages now, like becoming somewhat wiser is understanding what is that in me? Like, what did I, what feeling was it that drove me? Um, Was it, you know, fear? Was it, you know, desire? Whatever it was. And, uh, you know, that uh, either, either way, it's a, it's a potent source that you can tap into all as an athlete, as an, as an athlete. Um, and, and, you know, what I've realized is that not everybody has that, not, not everybody can do that. Or, you know, like we said, like transfer it into some type of work
2: ethic, not what I recognize too, is not everybody has that on their own. Mm. And I, and I can really feel where you're coming from that too. Cause I, I sense that. You know very early like and then why do i have that why and then trying to and it, was, and it still is a constant discovery yeah of big time exploration well what else is there now that i know that exists but but as a practitioner and as a clinician as well now and a coach being able to spread that mm. and see the light turn on your yes. athletes and exactly. your patients exactly gone this is powerful they just didn't know it yet. exactly and we are the light we are the mirror mm. that reflects this to them sometimes mm. and that's for me. When you can share that, that is powerful. There's hell, nothing more powerful. Hell
1: yeah! That, I love. I love what you
2: just said there. Um, there's
1: beautifulness in what you just said, and and you know I, you've tied this into what you teach your athletes in a curriculum. Correct your, your impact curriculum. Impact. Let's impact talk about mindset. that.
2: Yeah. So it's these things. It's funny how these things come about, but I've always been doing this stuff. But I'm kind of a random guy, <laughs> so. When the athlete presents itself, when the athlete presents a question and I love questions or when I challenge them a certain way and they show me something that's a little bit different, then it almost like a switch goes off and then I start asking other questions and finding out more about them and what and it's like that obsession of knowing what made me tick. Now I want to know what makes them tick and I want to find those similarities or differences. And um, you know, there's a lot of downtime in between heavy deadlifts and squats. So <laughs> you try to have that discussion a little bit here and there. And, and also that environment. Remember, as a coach, we, we literally get to set them up for failure and success day in and day out. So, you know, when we provide that and we can watch them, how they step out of a, a missed rep, that's what I watch. Mm. I don't care about the numbers. I, I watch them when they miss a rep. When they get a rep, I watch their setup. And then when they step out of that, you know, deadlift, out of the trap bar. And it's like a snapshot. Sometimes we'll video, a lot of times we'll videotape it and I'll show them. And they'll step out, shaking their head and be upset by it and they know they're being viewed or videotaped or their comrades around them. And that's a heavy weight when they feel like they've failed themselves, they get disappointed and there's viewership, you know, on a psychological level when you're being viewed, not everybody thrives in that situation. So I immediately, when I see that happen on a failed rep, I swoop in there and I go, oh, feedback, feedback, feedback. This is perfect, perfect, perfect. And for example, like a missed deadlift, we'll swoop in there and we'll just elevate the weights and say, yeah, that's 500 you missed. Well, let's get a little bit higher. I want you to hold that. Good, stand up with it. And they can get it. Now hold it for 20 seconds. No, keep holding it, 30 seconds. Keep holding it. And now I'm giving them this psychological and neural drive that yes, you can. And we build off of that, that success rather than, eh, maybe next time. Maybe three more weeks as we cycle through your program, we'll try it again. What does that happen? No, you, you're very likely going to fail again. It just feeds into that, you know, that negative side of ourselves, that shadow self that just you know, collapses us emotionally. So if I can stay intuitive in the gym with that and s- locate that and see that and know when it's going on, you know, if I hear one of my other coaches and they're getting somebody you know, fired up for something, I sneak right over to a big smile on my face and I just watch what they do um, on a performance level. And it's great, I mean, the other day, I had one of my athletes who is very aware of himself and we have these conversations daily. He failed at a rep, took a deep breath, stood in between the, in, in between the bar in, in the rack over there, and he looked at me, he smiled, and this has been trained, it's his style, and it says, not today, but I'm okay, and stepped out and went to the next thing. And I, I mean, my heart filled, I couldn't be more proud. I smiled right back and goes, you know, you get it, you get it, you know? So being able to get an athlete at that age to be intuitive mm. about their sport, their training, the discipline that they put into it, and, and to make every session count more mm. beyond the reps, beyond everything else that happens in there. Um, there's always something to take away, that mm. feedback. So, you know, fail, in failure there is feedback, right? Mm. There's a lot to be learned. You know, we have this fear of failure that everybody has, and I speak about it with them all the time. And no, 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 failure is feedback. And sometimes it's me injecting that feedback, forcing them to hold that weight, to elevate it, to do something, some sort of physical tactic to get them back into that positive outcome, to see that they can smack that negative thought right out of their head, that thought virus, you know, that mental mind fuckery, that self-talk um. sabotage, all that stuff. Just get rid of it now. And because they are such physical beings, and that's what they identify with, then... We start with that because mm. it's an easy, it's an easy recipe, it's an easy answer. Then, but then we talk about it mm. and we say, "What did you think about when he stepped out? What's the emotional part? What did you feel when that was going on? Mm. How about when the people? Was it because I was videotaping you? Was it because, you know, your teammate was there? You know, like you know, and you try to get to the answer of, you know, what makes them tick, mm. ultimately. So, um, that intuitive approach, um, it happens every day. It's something I look forward to every day with these athletes, even if it's a young kid that's struggling with running mechanics, you know, a little football player, lineman that just, you know, he isn't going to be the fastest kid, and you see him, his dad's in the bleachers, and his dad is not getting upset. He's being, you know, supportive and all that, but he, he you know, he, he can see the kid starting to break down, and he's kind of, I'm letting my dad down, I'm letting my dad down. And I pull him to the side and just say, let's take a couple of breaths, let's go for a walk. And we just go for a walk, and I tell him, proud of you, man. I love your effort, and I will judge you because I'm human. And I tell a lot of my young athletes this, I will judge you. I know they say, don't judge. I will absolutely judge you, but I'm gonna choose what I judge you on. And the two things I judge my athletes on is their ability to focus and their effort. And I let them know that with my arm around his shoulder, pre-COVID days, <laughs> mm. <laughs> not messed up. And to see that kid like turn and realize, wow, I have a support system here. Mm. And yeah, my dad's in. he's not getting on me. He's supporting me too. He's kind of cheering me on. And I let the kid have his space. I walked away and I said, you know, give yourself a couple minutes. We'll come back to that drill again. I was working with one of his teammates, another little football player. And then when we came back to it, um, it was like a different athlete, completely different athlete. I just, it's amazing to see when certain athletes can, when you just say something the right way, it clicks and I can guarantee it, it stays with them. Mm. And it never leaves other athletes. You have to pick and choose, work with it. They have other things that make them feel a little uncomfortable about that you know so it's a little bit more of a discovery and exploration and you know a deeper conversation um but yeah yeah love that stuff i love (laughs) i
1: love like what you're the painting the paint the picture you're painting here is 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 what you've learned with your physical therapy background your passion for sports and athletics and and how you you coach people and and now even like you're tying in this this psychology background that you Mm. you you began with and you're you're Weaving it in a way into direct and immediate feedback to failure, and you know, like when you said, feedback is an opportunity. You know, there's a there's an opportunity for feedback and failure. There's the most, the biggest opportunity Mm -hmm. when we fail. We can learn the most, hundred percent, the absolute most about ourselves when we fail, hundred percent. And you know, that's what I'm starting to, you know, learn about myself. Even is is like this constant student of my own being. Um, and, and understanding like when I fail or what I've failed in as, as like this, again, like you said, this mirror into what can I learn from the situation? What, what have I done wrong? Or is there another way I can look at this? Um, and, and allowing you as a coach to not shy away from bridging, again, we keep saying this word bridging the gap is like, you know, the physical stuff. Awesome. The mental stuff, freaking hell. Yeah. And now like tying in, like, the physical, mental and emotional experience mm-hmm. of a, what a training session is that is carrying over to the field more so than anything they've ever done. Cause now they can immediately, like you said that the smile thing is like, they have something that they've learned that goes beyond the physical training mm-hmm. that, they, that, they, that, that, that can ground them, that can get them to be present and say that I, I got this, I yeah. can perform and, and I'm in control. Yeah, uh, sure. and, and, and that is so, you know, it, it's something that, it seems so, like, obvious in mm-hmm. our world, but it's not touched by, by many coaches.
2: Well, it, it gets contagious when you see it works for yourself or for someone else. Yeah. It's like, now you just want to apply some of those tactics to everybody. Exactly. But a good coach has to know, you know, when to turn it on, when to not. When So, again, being that, you know, your antennas are up, your radar is up for that stuff, and, and knowing when to swoop in and how to do it, you know. I've been in positions where I've kind of swooped in there and kind of jumped the gun, and the kid was like, Wait, what are, you, what are you even talking about, coach? And they just can't get out of their own emotional state at that point. And then it becomes, you know, again, you know, maybe next time we pull them aside, or when they get there before the session, we talk to them, Here's what I've noticed over the last few weeks with you. And you have that conversation with them mm. while they're a little bit calmer mm. in their mindset. Um, but yeah, like, fear is the forerunner to failure. Mm. And if you have a good understanding and, and if you know fear, mm. Right? It's, a, it's an awareness thing. So we start with our athletes right away with awareness drills, just self-awareness. Um, things I practice every day, and, and it's, not, it's not like it happens in stages and then you own it. No, it's, it bounces around There's multiple times a day where um, I'm not as courageous as I wanna be in certain things. And you let that doubt trickle in a little bit. So um, you know, part of the impact mindset, impact was the integration of the mental, the physical, and the affective, or we just say attitude for people that don't understand that for character transformation as an acronym um so it's inclusive of of, of a lot of the things that you guys are working with and uh by looking at the doubt and the fear we're really we we really give them tactics and techniques on awareness first if they have that if they're able to create space especially in that difficult moment if they can create space within Almost turn those eyeballs inward to see what's going on inside. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? So we do like mirror drills, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, or I just ask them straight up, Really, what are you feeling? What, what is it? You know, why do you love baseball? Why do you love working out? And you know, you get, ah, competitive. It's fun. I like to win. I go, Okay, okay, okay. But what about when you go 0 for 4? Or what about when you fail? And do you love it then? And we start and no, of course. And you see the look in their face, like, What's he doing? And I take him on his journey. I said, It's going to get a little weird. But I say, ultimately, I want them to learn how to love that just as much as they love the winning, mm. love the losses, love the fear, love that excitement, love the unknown, you know, again, no fear. And then once they start that second phase, you know, I have like the five or six phases of mental mindset or mindset mastery, rather. It's they get to that point of awareness, um, then they're able to accept, which is something I think we all work on every day. It's so hard to, that acceptance piece like, how do you sit there and start to welcome the fear, welcome the doubts, and then start seeking it out, knowing that it's going to take you, like you said, there's more energy there. It's mm. going to take you to the other side faster, mm. faster. <laughs> and then once you get to practice that, as we know, it's like, all you want to do is seek that out all the time. Yeah. So, um, And through that acceptance, now we have to look at, since they're in there doing work and we have to put value to, you know, their parents are paying or they're paying, we have to add value to this so the next part for me is alignment. Um, And the alignment to talk about is um, of the body, mind, and spirit. So they easily, I can connect with the alignment of the body. They understand imbalances and, you know, how it feels good to have a great workout, even if it's a 20-minute thing, whatever it may be, just get moving, it feels good. You know, again, they identify easily with that. So the alignment of the body, the alignment of the mindset. So we give them uh, psychological fitness plus emotional control equals mindset mastery. Mm. It's a little formula I created. So we will give them psychological fitness drills, you know, little games we play, little awareness drills in there. We'll teach them different forms of breath work for emotional control and we practice that and encourage them to practice that on the daily. If they establish that, like I said before about habits, if they establish that and it's something like, it's like setting the table, I tell them. So if they establish that breath work, that visual imagery, the mental rehearsal, the mental reps, things like that, now, when the time gets going when they need to compete or when they gave up three runs in the first inning or when they're 0 for 4 and they're facing this guy that struck him out four times, but they're the game-winning hit in the last inning and they got that fifth at-bat, uh. they need to tap into this when it matters. So the daily work sets the table. If they're not doing the daily work, it is not that skill set will not arrive when they need it. So mm-hmm. it has to be practiced to where it's, it's available to them. So once we apply that alignment of the body, the mindset, and then the spirit. And the spirit for me, I know it's something you've really dive into. And and it's always been an unusual, it's been a wonder for many people, including me. And I've never been able to put my finger on it fully. But for me, I'm a word guy. I look at the word. I put it on the whiteboard, spiritual. So I tie that together with enthusiasm, optimism. And I break down the word. You break down that word spiritual, and what do I see? I see spirit. Again, enthusiasm, optimism. I break that word down again. I see ritual. So for me, spiritual is a ritual of spirit. So like the habits we formed with the body, with the gym going, the discipline, and the mindset, the, the psychological fitness reps we get in there, we have to be in tune with what we feel. And if we can bring... You know, you don't have to be the cheerleader on the team, but if you're more in tune with putting your best spirit forward, putting your best energy, being an optimist, not a person that doubts all the time, if you can put that forward each day in the gym, on the field, that energy can be felt by you and everybody around you. Contagious. It's pretty obvious to say. Um, So if we are uh, aligning that with our athletes in those realms, um, what that now does, that's that's the to-do. That's the work to do. Um, now we put it into the next, uh, series is the allegiance. So if you're doing the alignment, you're doing the work When you pledge to something and you've put in the time, the hours of the body, mind, and spirit, it is now an allegiance. You start to become that. Um, so from that point, if you're in that position more times than not on a daily basis, that's an athlete for me, that's working at a high caliber. So they bring a lot to their punches. There's some power back there. An athlete that is uh, of high capacity, so they're abundant. They can handle much, whether it's emotional, physical, mental. They can handle a lot, and they know this. And then we start to create an athlete of high character. As far as sportsmanship, um, integrity, that discipline we talked about. So when when they have an allegiance to those elements, I mean, those are the people I want to be around. Never mind athletes. I mean, anybody like that. And and that's what I hope to present. Now, as I know you know a lot about in my psychology background with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but then we reach that point of actualization. Um, And to me, that's more of the realization of their own potential. It's when we peak. It's when we flow. It's when we hit that wave. It's when we have that shutout and everything just feels right. Now, I know that that is... uh, finite and temporary um but it's an awesome feeling and it's addictive and we want to tap into that again and again but allowing uh, that actualization that potential what that does is it opens up our willingness into the last part of this uh, ascension where we rise to a different level and we can almost consistently set the stage to to produce that over and over again I'm working at that every day. I'm nowhere near that. It just, but when you look at like high level athletes and pro athletes and you talk to them and you hear them speak about it or you watch them in action, um, even extreme athletes, especially, um, my goodness, it's like they're literally tapping into this psychedelic free every day <laughs> or psychedelics as well. But it's, it is wild to see. You know, you need that, that fear, you need that danger, and you need that like highly skilled discipline practice that it's literally automatic to them mm. and now they're just putting in good energy emotion mm. smiling through it mm. you know it's like i was actually a golden gloves boxer uh, many moons ago and uh, for a short time and you know when you punch that guy in the face and he's smiling back at you it's like oh <laughs> when he's smiling back at you i don't belong with this guy probably <laughs> you know, So that's that that in a nutshell those five six a's of mindset mastery is something that um you know we conduct uh in the training format and it is a curriculum um that is loosely held it's when the again you know the master and the pupil it's when they present themselves when they show something that i offer Mm. because we don't want to just dump it on them and i've got caught in that puzzle too and my rants and all that and
0: And they just do it. And
2: sometimes when you do it, all of a sudden it does unearth a couple people in a room and it does open it up. So it's like setting setting the bomb off and seeing what's left. Um, Sometimes that works. But now I've been a little bit more like, let me peel it back a little bit, Russ, and and let me just work with the athlete one-on-one so they they have a comfort level. And then I jump on their wave instead of creating my own boom. (laughs) That's high-level awareness, brother, right there. I love how you kind of, uh,
1: alluded to like when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Right. And that's yeah. something that I've learned too, is like, you know, when you're full of all this stuff, mm. you know, you almost have to like filter your own self yeah, it's and, controlling and, yourself. Exactly. It's it's all get, you know, we talk about it all the times, like get out of our own way a little yeah. bit and, and really just feel, um, earlier, you said you're, you were, you're an empath, um, you know, and, and that's like just high level of emotional feel, yeah. uh, sense. And getting your athletes to tune into what they feel and not like physical bodily sensations, but the actual emotional experience, get them to decode these in their own sense, um, understand them in a way, learn from them. And, you know, that's again, it's extremely rare. And what you talked about um, developing this as like a practice. Mm. Uh, we talk about that as well. And, and a ritual is the best word you use is, is like this non-negotiable piece of you that is that you embody that you lean on that you harness that you sh- use to sharpen yourself every day um and and, and ascension in, in in a way like self-actualization you know getting it into like what we are truly capable of our highest 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 potential mm. when we talk about this in the course is like get familiar with that get like ask yourself like start these conversations and and for an athlete that's like the conversation that is the question that is like at utmost like why are you doing what you're doing but what do you believe you're capable of not only physically but like how you're bridging this into bridging the gap again body mind spirit like you're cultivating better human beings Mm. and and as a byproduct they're a better athlete and you know when they're done with sport and they can handle failure and they can walk into fear and they can approach the unknown with the same high character and caliber and capacity. They talked about that is a fricking powerful human being. Um, you know, so you again is like bridging this, taking this type of curriculum, taking this, these points of emphasis beyond the barbell and, and allowing yourself to coach athletes from again, seven years old up to guys in the, in the MLB right now, um, and, and picking their minds, Um, You know, again, the the effect that you're having goes goes way beyond uh, the physical into the mental, into the the emotional and then beyond into the spiritual. So, I mean, that's, you know, not many coaches are kind of talking about this. Yeah,
2: I still I just being a learner. You're always a learner. You know, I sign off my letters, always learning. Russ Tavares, you know, just yeah. And that has always been it. And it almost feels like I'm a trickster sometimes because I'm blending what I learned from this guy, that guy, what I read from this avenue, and that. And I'm constantly doing that. And I've learned to not worry about that and say, wait a second, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be blending all of these different skills and tactics and then using them on ourselves, really experience that. And then you know, have a lot of tools in the tool bag, as I say. I'm sure they use that in massage therapy school too, but that goes beyond the physical realm. Mm. So when you have a lot of these tools, you know, you know, there's a nail, hammer, 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 in the nail, and then all of a sudden, for one athlete, that hammer is not working, and you gotta dig deep to get that old rusty screwdriver, look for that wrench, and that might be the tool that works. So, being a, a, a constant learner, you remember that there are other tools out there that you need to use, and um, for each, you know, for me, it's been pulling from. Old books, new books, new school training, uh, just all thoughts and and, and avenues. And, you know, something I heard uh, years ago and I I never forgot it was if you want to learn something new, read old books, which I've dove into and movies um, a long time ago. And you know the roots of where these thought processes began. And when you know, like, what was going on in history at the time and why that was. So important during that time, and things we neglect now. So, um, so again, being that learner <laughs> in many avenues, I think affords me uh, the ability to pull on these rusty tools in that big old tool bag nowadays. Um, because there will be an athlete for sure that will that will s- stump me, mm. and I'm gonna have to dig deep. and And I look forward to those challenges. Mm. Um, another thing you mentioned too, I, I got it. We said before it was, you know, a lot of times we talk about the human condition, and Lately, that's been bothering me because when we talk about human condition, it's almost like we put this negative connotation on something that is like a hindrance to me. So even I've been changing my my, uh, verbiage with that too. And it's like, no, it's not about the, it's just an excuse. It's the human condition. No, no, it's, it's more about the human potential, as you said before. And realistically, the live version of it is the human experience. So replacing, you know, what, Others and, and authors and speakers have talked about of, of the human condition with potential and experience. Literally, the words we use matter so much. And I tell this to my athletes. The words we use or the words I use with you, I'm trying to carefully choose those. They matter. But the most important conversation that you will have in your life is the conversation you have with yourself. So getting them to do that inner work and not shut out that inner voice. Listen to that self-talk, sabotage or not. Yeah. Listen to it. And teaching them the skill set in that moment to dial in to that channel, turn the volume up on the guy that says, I can, the guy that says, be different. The guy that says, keep going versus the guy that says, Oh, not again. I can't do this. I'm not sure. Respect it. Listen to everything. But tweaking those knobs again, turning one up, turning one down is a practice that has to happen Mm. ritually, Mm, habitually daily. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, the, the the voice in the head is is speaking to me because I've been recently getting a little more active on my social media, and you know, I'll do this, open up for questions or whatever, and, and a couple of times now somebody keeps asking me, hmm. "What would you tell yourself?" Is at, it the same you know, person? <laughs> no, it's actually, a couple of people, but uh, you know, what would you tell your twenty five year old self? I've been okay. getting this a bunch. Yeah, and you know, I answered it one time, and then I got answered it. Uh, I asked it again, and I gave him this. I gave out the same exact answer that you know, and this is kind of dark, but there are some, I, I call them demons. They are, there's demons that live inside your psyche and they have to be confronted and you have everything you need. You just have to go mm-hmm. face first to these and you have to learn from them. You have to quote, conquer them. You have to defeat them, mm-hmm. learn from them, whatever. And on the other side is glory. Absolutely, it, it, It's this experience. It's this immense, just growth of explosion into potential. Um, and those are inside and, and what you said is like words are weapons, you mm-hmm. know, like wor- words are the most potent things that we can use and when we can start to use them correctly for in our favor.
2: Yeah. Storytelling.
1: Exactly. You know, and in, all of a sudden now you've changed your human experience. You've changed your human potential just for these simple sentences and, and rephrasing. And I'll just conclude with like, you know, we as a staff here and, and you as, as as a coach and even me personally as well as as Always. You know, treating ourselves as like our own experiment, mm-hmm. and putting ourselves first, diving into things first for ourselves, learning, you know, and then through our growth, through our learned experience, we want to then bring our athletes along with us. This is what I've done, or this is what I'm learning. This is I've been there, um, you know, and and that's something that is like this ethos, credo, whatever it is inside of like you know, who we are. Um, that's I just respect the shit out of people that like step into this that that do it that have either a shitload of experience or are very enthusiastic and willing to go first and be on like the fringes like the front line Mm. of advancement you know for themselves physically but also like when we talk about like creating breakthroughs in professions creating breakthroughs in relationships creating um you know businesses and, and profitable workshops whatever it is Um, you know, those are uh, people that we love to surround ourselves with. And, um, you know, again, it's something that is quite powerful when Mm -hmm. these type of people are sharing ideas, you know, that, that have put themselves first for, you know, more than a couple of years. They've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years, and, and their accumulation of knowledge is extremely valuable, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I think uh <laughs> this is an awful awesome, awesome conversation. If anybody is interested in you, tell them
2: where to find you. Uh the easiest place is I guess through the training business. It's Infinity Sports Performance. Uh on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, that's where we are. We have uh you know, been doing it for twenty years I've been doing this, but seventeen years at the Bellport location and uh we're always expanding, growing and and just trying to entertain um Anything from from all sports, all ages, all abilities—it doesn't matter. There's really nobody that we don't want to come in there and train with us because we, again, we feel that the level of care and what we do offer has a lot of value. And um, you know, when someone steps in those doors that first day, it, it is it is an exciting challenge for me. And I always leave there from evaluation day or speaking to a parent or an athlete, um, super pumped for, for them. Literally, based on what I've learned from them looking at their, you know, mechanical floors and all the physical stuff, but also tapping into them uh, emotionally a little bit by asking certain questions or, again, the little feedback they give you. It's an exciting thing for us, and uh, um, ultimately their success is going to be our success. So we really have to, if we can show them that, um, you know, we, it's like a it's like me too. You know, like, oh, I've been there too. Or, You've been through some injuries? Good. I, I hear you. Are right, you're struggling with your speed? Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you, you know. If we can connect with them on that level, where they find that camaraderie, um, I, I think that really puts those teenagers, those adolescents, or those uh, youth athletes into a position that they feel um, safe mm. to grow. Mm. Um, and if not, we continue to do that and pursue that as we move along with them mm. too. So, um, yeah, that was great. Man. I love it. it was, uh, Is, uh, I have one, uh, one final authenticity. <laughs> I have
1: one final question for sure. you. Where do you see hmm. these professions? PT, LMT, strength conditioning, where do you see
2: these professions going say in the next five to seven years? Great question. Tricky uh, because of the professions and the strongholds they have with medicine and degrees and credentials. Guys like yourselves and me, we look to mesh all these things together. That's where it's going. It won't I do not believe that it will holistically in five to seven years end up there. It it just won't because again, the strongholds and the credentials and the battles that go on in the world of medicine won't allow that. But things like this, podcasts, being out there, engaging, engaging, influence, influence, influence. um, People, patients, athletes, and everyone. Uh, I mean, right now it's 2020, 2021, the year of awareness. It's just, it's awoken uh, for many of us. And for those that are not paying attention, at some point, they're going to have to learn, um, so they are empowered to make these decisions. So when they see practitioners or clinicians out there that are worthy or that are valuable, they're going to lean into that person, or they're going to hear about it from somebody else. So uh, the blending of this, I love. I've always loved that. It's it's always been how I've practiced in, in the first place. Um, so I love how beautifully that's been uh, manifesting in the world. But I just don't see it completely coming whole. Mm-hmm. It's, we we have a fight with the shadows here. There's a big fight, but um, it, it's it's an interesting time. It's actually when all this you know COVID stuff happened and all the fear based stuff that came about and political and um, you know just all the problems out there. The things I try to avoid thinking about. Um, it's definitely a test for for us as a whole, you know, humans. And and I and I really believe that. And the optimist in me can see a better turnout from this. Um, but we have a fight mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, that's the troubling thing. Cause, um, I have two small children and, and that's the worry that I don't sleep well at night is what, a, what are we bringing them into? I can control a little bit now cause they're young, the environment that they're in currently, you know, as parents, my wife and I, we do the best we can with that. And, and, you know, we fail every day. You know, I talked to her about this again yesterday, we fail every day, but you have to step forward. You know, you have to keep stepping forward. You can't beat yourself up over the things you didn't do. What if, what if, you know? And uh, it does worry me about what the future holds with that. And, you know, we can't bottle them up. We can't, I'm a guy that, uh, release them. Let them go. Let them have that freedom. Let them, I mean, I know you're big on creativity, so am I, but the root of it is curiosity. And you can't, you can't, if they can't be out there singing their songs, playing in the mud, just their imagination running wild, um if they're restricted by any means um i think that becomes a problem it's something i discuss with my athletes called the inner cage and the outer cage you never let anyone rattle your cage that inner cage and it happens it'll be rocked and that's a good thing You you learn but that outer cage the outer cage for me is something that is restrictive through government political people parents sometimes around you that outer cage and we have to bust through that we can't let those binds hold us down and i feel like many Of the people are allowing that and sometimes they self-create those binds um but we have to we have to break that open if we can't break that open then we don't have that free flow we think of a cage as something we're stuck in well if it's something important to you that inner cage is something that we behold and we protect but it's open so we have to have the free flow of information good and bad and then we got to learn what how to you know that that's a choice what do we do with that you know as i say it's a, a choice for a chance to change um but if we don't have if we don't have those extrinsic barriers, whether they're created from someone else or intrinsically, um, then the first thing we got to do is you know emotionally, psychologically, mentally break down those barriers first to get there. Hmm. Um, uh, you brought up I brought up kids, you know the curiosity, and um, I know we want to wrap this up too, and so not get too boring, but I do uh, have a story because I know Brian, of course, you know, you're a your beautiful young daughter and I get to see her live through this with you, this this amazing transition from a high-level CrossFit coach that actually, I know him through there, I actually attended there. Um, even though it seemed like it was competition with his business opened up a block away from mine, <laughs> practically, um, I was actually certified in CrossFit probably a year and a half, two years before you opened your business. I went out west before it was even here, seeing the wave and the interest and. And I said, do we hop on this with our athletes or not? And I chose not to, Um, but as an athlete myself, I chose to compete and train with it. And I actually went to Brian's gym. Um, And I told him, I remember in the beginning, I don't know if you remember, but I was like, I'm not here to like, scope things out. I'm here to like, you know, kick my ass, let's go. Mm -hmm. Cause I loved it. I was out of sport at that time. And I was like, let's see what else I can compete with. Um, But in any case, back to the children. So I come bearing gifts. <laughs> what we, it's going to be, yes. This is my freaking jam right and here. With your sledgehammer that he left at your old employment, my gym. That's right. Which I've kept. Eight pound hammer. Protected. Cut, cut in half. And painted pine cones bearing gifts. Are let, you a mind reader? Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, we'll, please. Wow, we'll get to that. reminds me of the Soul Wander podcast. There we so go. I was like, oh, man, I wish I was on that Wander with you guys. <laughs> So, yin and yang, masculine, feminine, here, you know, there's your sledgehammer. That's who we were, who we are primarily. It's how people define us and how we identify. And I get it. And I still love feeding into that monster a little bit too, Mm because it's brought me to where we are now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went for a quick run to pick up my daughter from preschool yesterday. So, this is fresh. And picked her up. I said, I'm going to take the stroller. I don't want to drive the car. So, ran over there. She jumped out, hugged me, big smile as usual, put her in the stroller and said, and started jogging back. And I went to the, um, uh, we passed the lake over in Patchogue. And, and as we often do when we, this time of year, we find lots of pine cones and she wants to step out of the stroller and collect them. And I, of course, let her do so as long as I'm not rushing to the next job. And she collects them and then there's like a pile of them and it never ends. And I'm like, you know, it's enough. Let's, let's, let's go. I love them, but let's go. So we go home and we, and we get home and she immediately says, I want to paint these with my sister, her little sister. And, um. I come bearing these gifts because as a practitioner in, in many ways in this, in this world, um, seeing you guys in, in certain ways that we've been connected and watching you guys transition to the, to the men you are, you guys are, um, you guys are gifts to your community, you know, to the community that we are in. And uh, um, so as a congrats, congratulations to the new facility that we're in right now, for you guys trajectory in this world you guys are and i admire you guys and it's also an inspiration for me to open up in my life and areas that i struggle with as well or to be courageous into these new endeavors that i've only played with a little bit Uh, but to really take ownership and really start applying them to my life so these pine cones i got some notes here because i no way it's pretty interesting and i don't know if this drives what you've been learning but so a pine cone, here we go. I did a little research and it really like stuck with me. It was kind of amazing. But they're actually the female organ of the tree that houses the reproductive structures. Mm-hmm. Um, the main function of a pine cone essentially is to protect the seed. Mm-hmm. So it's protection. And so the scales on them will open and close depending on the weather, whether it's wet, rainy, snowy, they'll close off to protect the seed. But the moment that rain stops and when it starts to, it needs to dry out so they'll expand their scales because they want those seedlings to get sunlight, they want to dry out, fresh air, and they will drop their seeds. That Sometimes they'll be in trees for 10 years and they'll protect them for that long. So we talk about the longevity and the resilience that they have. But they will drop their seeds in the ground and the seeds, actually, if you pull them apart, you'll see it, and I never knew this, but it has a this unique helicopter wing to it. And when they fall, when you drop it, it just spirals down in this really cool old fashion. It slows their pace down of that, you know, that inevitable fall to the ground. So it allows more time for the winds to spread them to the earth. So that now the conditions are fertile for their reproduction, for their growth, for their longevity. And again, pine pine trees, certain conifers have been around since the prehistoric times. Uniquely enough and oddly, they're actually also edible. Not that you're gonna to want to munch on it right away, but there are ways to boil them down and in survival situations, the seeds, pine nuts. Mm, nice. You know, now I'm not giving nutritional or medical advice because <laughs> so there are some stuff. ones that you you know, you better look into it. No know, know your pine pine trees, because I don't know anything about I know your conifers rather. Um, but yeah, so they provide this protection. They are adaptable to an ever changing environment, they provide sustenance. Mm. And they're resilient as hell. Mm. I mean, aren't those the qualities that we want, mm. right? And what we want to provide for our, our the people we care about, mm. the clients, ourselves, our families. Mm-hmm. So that just like just reading that and putting what I've learned and what I teach and taking some of these simple things I learned from that and tying it together was like, this is. I mean, this is why I had three hours sleep last night. I was up to three a.m. Literally, just what did I just learn? <laughs> and then how was this brought to my attention? Because my Beautiful little daughters painted them, and I said, "I got too many of those in the house. This is a gift. Mm. You get a gift. You, you keep giving those mm. gifts to the people that that you know matter." So, also the pineal gland, <laughs> right? We're all about it here, right? That's <laughs> it's named after pine, right? It's a pineal gland, and for sure with you know melatonin release and the perception the of light, yeah. Um, you know, also considered the the third eye if we're mm-hmm. looking into the spiritual world, um, and that enlightenment that we get in that pineal gland. Um, you know, powerful con- connections going on there. So I was I was not leaving here at the behest of not mentioning that. So for mm-hmm. sure, and um, and you, circadian man over here, um, you know, and me who's the many sleepless nights, <laughs> the opposite of that. <laughs> I'm working hard at trying to you know create that environment for myself. Yeah. Um, and last thing, too, is it's, oh, it, uh, uh, in the metaphysical world, it was known to combine the physical and the spiritual realms. It was how they tied it together. It was a symbol of that. Uh, and ancient Romans, too, is the symbol of um, the goddess Venus mm-hmm. of love mm-hmm. and fertility. So it carries over into a lot of things mm-hmm. that, w- that we um, mm-hmm. uh, discuss and that you guys talk about, O.T. 3, that I love, but, um, you know, You can do what you want with them, prop them up in the office, throw them out. doesn't matter to me. No, they're staying. Those are staying here. The idea is, you know, (laughs) listen, I got one propped up now, you know, right by my desk. And it reminds me every day now, well, one day, but it will, um, of not something that was given to me from my daughters. But, um, again, at the, you know, the protection of those babies, those, the seeds and, Mm. um, know the sustenance they provide the energy they provide and, and the resilience that that is built in with them and mm. um so we we lean into nature mm. we lean into what's already built within us like mm-hmm. you said and uh and uh, that's how we are intimately connected with with this world is um we have everything we need you just gotta figure out how to get there that's
1: it baby so we are all about resiliency over being reliant you yeah. know we're trying to ultimately cultivate yeah the internal sense and ability to be adaptable,
2: survivable, and,
1: and resilient, you know, yeah. it's
2: something that is encoded in our DNA. That old Mexican proverb, uh, that, that, that just reminds me of, uh, they tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Mm, love it. That's yeah. fucking awesome. I love that. When you're in a bad state. Just think of that. It'll bring you out pretty easy. And, uh, I just want to end on
1: you talking about like, going out to whatever west coast and getting to see Uh, crossfit (laughs) certification before it even blew up and that just shows your ability to kind of be in tune and see the wave you talked about seeing the Mm. wave and you know that's kind of what we're trying to do here as well is like see the wave way out there in the future and it's evolving things are evolving things are changing information is being shared and there's a wave coming and if we can ride this wave of whatever you want to imagine it to be be the wave be the wave mm. and ultimately break the cage that you're talking about that that external cage the outer cage and create fucking change like yeah ultimately like a catalyst for change for sure I used to always say this is like I'm not a coach I'm a catalyst for change mm. I'm changing you because I've changed myself and I want you to change and you're going to be a better person because of this catalyst and to take you know ownership of being a coach as the most influential empowering profession in the entire world
2: nothing like it there's fortunate it
1: is (laughs) it's amazing and um you know that's something that all three of us as coaches uh can can easily relate to as as again it's a job that is unlike any other and and it comes with immense responsibility uh, and the amount of impact Mm -hmm. that you can have on an individual goes above and beyond anything that you can conceive so um and you're doing it and and you're somebody who talks the talk but you ultimately walk the walk and uh no we appreciate it yeah everything you've you've shown and shared with us and the the gifts are 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 gonna fit right in here maybe above (laughs) the door because there's there's one more right there and i'm gonna take back my hammer that i've been missing for almost 12 months (laughs) and uh put it to use the yin and the yang
2: appreciate you guys thank you
1: you're awesome thank you very much
0: There it is, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If the conversations on the show are stirring up feelings of serving a higher purpose, of you know, helping your clients truly transform their lives, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, then it might be time to start listening to those feelings a little more closely. Here at O23, we are building a tribe of holistic health professionals that are changing the industry in big, big ways. Some have said that we are turning the industry upside down, but I like to think we are just turning it right side up. Our O23 Pro mentorship is the complete package to help you truly understand ancient principles of holistic living and how to apply them in our modern world. And it's not just a mishmash of all different information that you don't know what to do with. No, it's the opposite. Together, we build your own O23 system where you'll know how to guide a client to true life-changing transformation from start to finish using structure, sequence, and systems every step of the way. Once your program is finished, we begin our intensive sales mentorship so you know exactly how to explain who you help, how you help them, and how it works so you can find the people who need you the most and help them finally find true health and happiness. Yes, the course is complete with over 80 video modules, every kind of business checklist or resource you could possibly imagine, and of course group calls every week. But Because it is a true mentorship, that means we are working with you individually, one-on-one, the entire process. There's over 20 one-on-one coaching calls throughout. And because of that, we can only enroll six clients per month so we can deliver on the highest level. So if you think you deserve to be one of those six clients, if you're looking to transform your clients and your career by transforming yourself, then head over to our website, website, www.023coach.com. In the top right corner, you'll see a button that says Schedule a Call. It's a 15-minute call. There's nothing for sale on the end. It's just to get some clarity on where you are, where you want to go, and what's standing in the way. If we think we can help with what's standing in the way, we'll talk to you about what the next steps look like and what the potential relationship could feel like. Get over there right now, www.023coach.com, and get started right away.